Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you've had a good day so far. It is Thursday already, so uh, I hope your week has gone well on top of all of that. We're going to have a great show with Guide Talk. Guide Talk is already here surrounding the table. Dr. Peter Kapsner is here, Pastor Tom Parrish, and Justin Jepson. Uh, Pastor Tom Brock, who's a regular on the show as well on Thursdays. He's in California, so he says. And uh, so let us know what your questions are. Let us know what concerns or issues you'd like us to discuss. We're willing to tackle anything. So the phone number to text a question would be 877-933-2484, I'll get things started. Uh, but after that, I want your questions. Let me know what they are. We'll take 60 seconds and start Guide Talk. Faith Radio continues connecting faith to life for thousands of people on crystal clear, static-free FM signals around the upper Midwest and Hartford, Connecticut. It's a wonderful source of daily hope, encouragement, and faith building. You can find your Faith Radio frequency at MyFaithRadio.com. Look under the About tab and click How to Listen. There, you'll see a complete list of Faith Radio stations. Select your local Faith Radio FM station as a preset and keep growing in your Christian faith every day. Today, how is your spiritual heart rate? Maybe you'd like to describe it as racing, so busy with activities that you're exhausted. Or maybe you've pushed God away for so long, you're having trouble finding a pulse. As you listen to Faith Radio, you can sit with God, infusing your life with the truth of His Word, finding rest, finding hope, finding health. Connecting Faith to Life, Faith Radio. Talk. Let us know what your questions are or issues you would like us to talk about. Gentlemen surrounding the table today is Dr. Peter Kapsner, Pastor Tom, uh, Tom Parrish, and Justin Jepson. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you. Hey, Thank you. We'll have a little contest today. First prize is a Cadillac Eldorado. Ooh. Uh, anyone, right. Anybody want to see second prize? Second prize is a set of steak knives. <laughs> Third prize, you're fired. Wow, this is a high stakes show. Wow. It's like Hunger Games is my guy talk. Well, there's three of us. So I guess it's yeah, it's going to get ugly fast. Uh, all right. And uh, this question was prompted by uh, Pastor Tom. I found this interesting. In Romans 10 17, Paul writes that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If that is true, then why can so many hear? But not believe. Hmm. Justin's got his Bible open already. I already did. So I think we can probably throw it over to you. Romans right? ten. I thought it was Hebrews. <laughs> That's Romans ten seventeen. Yeah, it's okay. Romans ten. So I, Tom, I think you got to let the other guys talk first. I'm going to. You can back clean up. I love it. All right. Yeah. Sure. Well, Peter pitched it to me. Um, yeah, I think that's a great question. I think uh, what comes to my mind too is you know Jesus said for those who have ears to hear, let them hear. And so I think um, I, I think it also it can it, it depends on the condition of the heart of the hearer. 
and the work of God's grace um, uh, in them in advance to even give them the capacity. I believe God has to give us the capacity. Um, I, I believe that it matches um, how we participate with God's grace is engaging in prayer. Um, God, give me eyes to see, give me ears to hear. Um, you know, I think of the uh, the centurion that 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 met with Jesus, and you know, he said, "I believe, help my unbelief." So I think it's you know, even even having faith to believe is a gift from God. But I, I do believe that in the same way that God spoke um, into nothing and created everything, in the same word, in the same way, God's creative power has that same element that when we read, it could speaks into the void of unbelief and creates belief. Um, and I, I've experienced that many times. I've, I've been a part of even just reading the Word of God in public at a church service or in chapel, and students or a person come up after and said, something happened when you were reading. And I didn't explain anything. I didn't illustrate it. I didn't apply. I just, l- l- just simply read it. They just heard it, and the Holy Spirit did something supernatural. Wow. Yeah, it is interesting um, just how God's Word really does seem to have that power about it uh, in ways that <clears throat> I think when we begin to deviate uh, too far from it and decide uh, that we're going to do sort of our own thing. I, I'm haunted always by a pastor that I knew, um, who spent a lot of years teaching straight from God's word and just, uh, was faithful verse after verse, week after week, month after month, year after year. And, and, and I watched sort of the catalytic conversions that begin to happen in the church. I don't just mean people coming to faith, but I meant the formation of people by just staying immersed in God's word and then haunted uh, several years later and having a short conversation with the pastor. And he said something along the lines of, you know, I'm sort of done teaching the scriptures. I kind of want to teach what I want to teach. And uh, and I watched then from that sort of watershed moment that the church began to not have that sort of catalytic energy that you described, Justin, that I can only attribute to God's spirit moving among us as, as the spirit sort of inhabits the word and begins to indwell in us. I watched actually sort of a deadening process happen in the church. Now, that doesn't necessarily address the verse. I mean, I think so much about what we're talking about is what's human agency, what's human responsibility, what does God do, what do we do? But I think just to go from your point, from where you are, there's there's a real power in God's word as we just simply are immersed in it, even if we don't fully understand it, just being immersed in it really is, is a big deal. In the context of Romans 10, Paul's talking about Israel, about their disobedience in the wilderness, some of the issues that went on there and their stubbornness. Uh, growing up, I was uh, a pretty good kid. Only one time in my life did I ever hear my dad say to me, young man, do you hear what I'm saying to you? (laughs) He wasn't asking about my decibels Mm. in my ears. He was saying, do you hear it in such a way that it will change the way you behave? Do you hear it in such a way that you'll put it to work? Do you hear it in such a way that you'll make action out of this? And I think so often when we talk about hearing the word of God, we think that just quality preaching, and I'm all for good preaching and all good teaching. We need that. But somewhere along the way, We have to either challenge people or the individual through the power of the Holy Spirit has to say, hey, i got to do something with that. If it tells me that I need to be more patient, you know, I just can't hope it drops out of the sky. I've now got to find ways in the Lord to be more patient with other people. So hearing in this sense, hearing comes by the Word of God. Yeah, it does. The Word convicts us. But the issue is, you know, the devil hears. He hears everything. It's not hearing in the sense of just the ears. It's in, are you going to... Take it in, in your body. Are you going to take it in your mind, your spirit? And are you finally going to go do it? And if you put it to work, then you've heard. Because those who hear do what the Lord wants them to do. Yeah, I'm really compelled when Jesus says that phrase that he says quite often. If he says, today you hear my voice, 
don't harden your heart. And so th- there's clearly an agency that human beings have as they hear, as you're saying, not necessarily audibly, but as God's voice begins to intersect in some way in their life. And this idea of don't harden your heart. And, and, and I think Jesus's warning in those places is that over time, the heart becomes harder and harder and harder and harder. And eventually there sort of is this giving over kind of idea. And so, yes, if today you hear the voice, don't harden your heart, because you're really playing with fire as you do. And, and I can attest to that in my own life at certain mm-hmm. times. One of the things I feel strong about, and I'm not getting that many seminaries to listen to me, but in terms of their their preaching and teaching classes, we're just primarily giving out information on Sunday mornings. Mm -hmm. We are not challenging people to step beyond the information to the action. We're not challenging them in their their marriages, in their family, in raising their kids, in their neighbors, where they work, to take the Word of God and put it to work in a very practical way. Think about it. If we actually did that, what a difference it would make in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And I'm thinking, Justin, you're talking about just this person getting this flash from the Holy Spirit, basically just hearing God's word being preached. Do you think that person uh, was believing that God exists and that he would reward those who earnestly seeking him? Was he earnestly seeking him at that at that time? I mean, I would say... Yes, but only because God first sought him. So I think the only reason we have a capacity to pursue God is, you know, theologians call this the preeminent grace. So yeah. it's the grace that, that initiates, and we re- we have then the grace to respond. So, and it's, you know, I think sometimes it sounds like a cop-out, this flash of the Holy Spirit or this doctrine of illumination that is beautiful and mysterious, but it's, um, you know, another, another you know, uh, the parable of, Je- of Jesus that comes to mind is the, is the seed and the sower. And, and it's clear that from there, uh, there's the four different types of soil and the, the word of God is, is the seed and it's scattered and the sower gives what he has. And then really it's, the, it's, it's God's sovereign purpose working with, <laughs> mysteriously with the, the, the human agency of free will from there um, and, and how they respond, how they receive it. Because some do receive it and they grow, uh, but they have no depths of soil and they wither away. Or some do receive it, but they get choked out by the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of other things. But I think those that have a healthy heart, that healthy soil, are the ones that are um, have been awakened to God's pursuit of them and are reflecting that pursuit and continue with a humble growth mindset as they approach the Word of God. Yeah, I think that's one of those troubling things about, again, what is the agency that brings us into the kingdom? How much of it is our responsibility and how much of it is God's? And people go round and round on that without maybe any silver bullet answer to it. But I heard, I think, one construction of it at some point in time that God's kingdom is always present, always wooing, always calling, always receiving and stuff. So it's always there invitationally. And the only question is, is will you then eventually say yes to it? And and so there, I don't know that that's the perfect construction of human agency, but I think people are understandably troubled by the idea that God pursues only some people uh, or God decides that some people are going to make it or not. Because when you go to that place, then you do eliminate all human responsibility and then you end up with a God of injustice. And so as much as people have tried to come all the way to that sort of double predestination way, there's the trouble and downside of that that's irresolvable in, in some of these the theological ideas. Yeah. I mean, to your point then, to those who hear my voice yeah, today, that's exactly right. don't harden your heart. So God's always... There's yeah. always the opportunity to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Been, I'm sorry. Have you ever been around a young man or one woman that has fallen in love? What do they talk about? They talk about the other person all the time. Yeah. It doesn't matter what the topic is. You can be talking about flying <laughs> to the moon, yeah. and they'll say, yeah, I would go to the moon with her any day. <laughs> you know, it's just a constant focus. 
Christianity needs to have a love affair with Jesus to where, you know, I'm not good at obeying rules. I'm not good at just reading right. it and doing it. Mm-hmm. I want to do this because I love him and because he loves me. And I want to please the Lord Jesus. And so I want to think like him and talk like him and behave like him. That becomes the drive for me to sustain long-term that ability to forgive, to walk in sacrifice, to, to care about others, because there's no other motivation on the face of the earth that has that kind of power. Now, I've been married 47 years, a long time. My wife is still the highest motivation of my life in terms of loving another person. That's never changed. I remember seeing her at the University of Toledo at another table, and I said to the guy next to me, that's the woman I'm going to marry. And he said, what's her name? I said, I have no idea. And sure enough, we did get married two and a half years later. The bottom line is when the drive is knowing Jesus and really loving him, then the word takes on power, and it's sustainable over a long period of time. I like it. Let's take a little break. If you have a question or you would like us to discuss a particular topic or issue, let us know what it is. 877-933-2484. 877-93-FAITH. We'll be right back. show. Glad you're with us today. Thanks for being here. We love this time together. Guy Talk is happening. Dr. Peter Kapsner, Pastor Tom Parrish, Justin Jepson, who is also known as 007. <laughs> yes. I wanted like, a cool title. Yeah, I mean, you got like you're doctor, this cool. you're this cool. pastor, and then yeah. it's just my name. So I appreciate you attaching something yeah, to I it. Yeah, I got to add some kind of bulk to Thank that you. description because you you're super cool. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, here's a concern question. Uh, in James chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So Mm. is there some, if you do this, then I'll do that kind of relationship there in that verse? I think, I mean, my understanding of the word life in the New Testament without looking up that particular version, but I would suspect that what life is uh, being defined as is is sort of zoe in the Greek language, meaning the very kind of life that God enjoys and begins to overflow in it. And pour into us and it's and it's a sustaining sort of stand on the rock kind of life it, it's a love that persists in the midst of enemies it's it's a hope that persists in the midst of grief it's a peace that uh, passes understanding like that sort of idea but and i find to find that kind of life to find the real zoe of god uh, often requires some kind of tribulation some kind of suffering some kind of test to see do you want to walk on this narrow road that will bring that kind of life and are you willing to see all the other things of your heart to which you tend to attend, Kapsner, which might be your career, which might be this, which might be that, are you willing to have your heart undivided through the tribulation to be able to find this this crown of life that awaits for those who are willing to go through the process? I don't know of any other road towards the life of God other than the road of suffering and yielding and uh, what comes from that place. It's usually multiple times. I mean, we read a passage yeah. like that, and we think this is a one-shot deal. You know, you're at the end of your life. Have you been faithful to the end? Well, of course, it talks about that. But for most of us, where we come under persecution, ridicule, being laughed at, being mocked, it's not a one-time event. Right. It goes on and on and on. And in that process, we usually fail in the beginning. And then the next time we say, I will not fail this time, Lord, I'll honor you, and we, we persevere longer. 
And I've always told people that the basic goal of the Christian life is not to be wonderful, it could be sinless, but it's how quickly we tighten up repentance in our life, how quickly we move from doing something wrong to saying, that is wrong, and I need to repent, Lord, and I need you in my life. I think the same thing here that Paul's talking about, because I've looked at that text in depth. You know, the Christians were facing already, even with Paul, persecution. Things were hard. And people are saying, is this really worth it? Should I bother with this? And he's saying, you know, hang in there. Don't give up because there is that crown of life for you, you know, and keep the goal in mind. And if you keep the goal in mind, you can endure the present. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think it's to that point, too. And when you think of maybe an analogy here that, you know, if you want, if you want to get stronger, there's this phrase in, in weightlifting called time under tension. And you have to endure time under tension in order for muscles to be broken down and be built back up. And then it, that, it, that involves a lifestyle. So it doesn't mean if there's one moment, you know, I skip the gym on Monday morning is, is my crown, am I, is my health completely, you know, out in the trash? Well, no, I mean, God's right. going to give other opportunities, but then it goes along, you know, with, with, with the lifestyle and kind of your diet. I know Peter brought in milk, chocolate covered <laughs> mini pretzels and I'm staring at me in the face. Get right now and I want pretzels, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but not, not to make light of a very obviously serious passage. Cause I mean, it's um, the, to endure um, is the purpose of building character. And that's why J- James says you can count it actually joy. Yeah. Um, so there, there is a joy there, but it, it comes from time under tension. Here's a question from a listener. If a person is one of those different soils that you had mentioned uh, for when the seed is sown, can they ever change from one to the next? I, are those soil, are those seeds interchangeable <laughs> among the soils? I mean, I think it's hard to come to a definitive answer. I can say that those soils have all been present in my heart at certain times <laughs> in my life. So I think to, I, I think it would be remiss uh, or maybe a miss on the passage to suggest that a person is sort of stuck as that soil for their entire life. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, without getting too deeply into the passage, I certainly know that I've had times of real softness, of real uh, of an ability for the seed to grow quickly and take deep roots in my life. And I have other times where I've just been like, uh, no, thanks. And, uh, and I don't know what all the reasons are for those, but, uh, but certainly I've been in all those four soils. Yeah. I've seen that over and over as a pastor and, and trying to evangelize and disciple people. Um, they're up and down along the way. You know, they, they look like a graph, you know, it's up and down and over here. The question is, how do you get to number four? Right. That's the four mm-hmm. soil. How do you get there? Mm-hmm. And the only way I know to get there is to pursue and fail. Pursue mm-hmm. and fail, pursue mm-hmm. and fail. And that's where we need one another because too often we get isolated in our Christianity where we need somebody else saying there, hey, Jason, you're going to make it. You know, yeah, you really messed up this time. Yeah, you got problems, but that's not the end. You've got a Redeemer who loves you. Let's try it again. Mm-hmm. And I think if the church really got into that kind of mentality with one another, uh, think about the powerful things that could happen for life change for people. And mm-hmm. I think we'd see more people get to the four soil. They get depth in them. Mm-hmm. And when they get depth, guess what? They become the cheerleaders. Right. Yeah, and that's what multiplies too. I mean, I think the sore went out to sow. I mean, Jesus is using this agrarian term to culture that was, you know, and you have to imagine was he actually looking at a sower maybe out in the field while this was happening. And in that, in that case, that happened all the time. It wasn't a sower. went out once and forever and sowed some seeds, and then that was the only seeds he had. The Lord continues to provide those seeds, so I think that the we grow we kind of waver into each soil depending on how we're receiving the seed. So keep getting underneath the seed, keep receiving the word, keep intaking the word, uh, both individually, both corporately. The church that you go to it makes a huge difference, and it's it's cultivated and it's a process. Mm-hmm. Now you've been all walking with the Lord for years, so do you remember the Bible teaches so much about prayer? Do you remember a time when you really latched onto a, a verse about prayer that? 
got you really excited. Like, ooh, this is going to open up a whole new day for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, for me, it was Psalm 37, 4, take delight in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Mm-hmm. Bring it mm-hmm. on. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I got, I got really excited about yeah, that. Yeah. And of course, I didn't really fully understand the verse, but I, I hooked on, I latched onto it. Like, this is great. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it speaks to God's graciousness, doesn't it, Bill, that I think sometimes we can come to these passages, and uh, even if we have a, a bit of a misunderstanding or we get very excited about the possibility that if I just do the right thing by God, then the desires that I currently have are going to be met, which, you know, I think we know is being a misunderstanding of the passage, yeah. but, but it's amazing how God just like, let's start there. We'll, we'll work through it together, it's and, you know, it's, it's amazing, gracious God. Yeah. And then in Matthew 21, it says, you know, uh, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in <laughs> prayer, mm-hmm. all right? Wow. Gosh, I could say so much. I get excited about this. Yeah, Yeah. go ahead. Maybe two things, because two passages in particular. One is Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing I ask of the Lord, that will I seek, and I may dwell in his house all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. And that verse came to me like David, like it came to David and and the Holy Spirit in a season of great difficulty and darkness. Um, I was in a season where I felt God was so distant. I was uh, going through a really uh, difficult physical injury. I was in college, and the Lord um, hit me with the aspect of, um, geez, I, God wasn't the one thing of my life. He was just one of the things. And that led me to a, a place of prayer when I recognized that prayer, um, the b- best definition outside of Scripture that I've heard comes from an evangelist, Alvin Reed. He said, prayer is intimacy with God that leads to the fulfillment of his purposes. And so I recognized that prayer I had treated as a way to get power for ministry, to produce, to perform, to get things done, to have strength, to get good grades, to perform on the football field. And I was missing God all. Mm. I was missing him completely. And then at, at verse 8, it says, um, seek my face. My heart says to your face, Lord, do I seek? And I think scripture makes that diff- distinction between God's face, who he is, and his hand for what he does. And I have a mentor of mine who says that if we only seek God's hand, we may miss his face. Uh, but if we seek his face, he'll be glad to open his hand to us. And so I think it was that verse that opened my eyes to see that the primary purpose of prayer is is intimacy with God. The best reward I get in prayer is God himself. Mm. I think the verse that hit me very hard was the parable Jesus told about the woman going before the unjust judge. She wanted justice, and she couldn't get it. And she kept coming back and coming back and coming back. And this judge feared nobody. He didn't fear anybody. But he said, this woman's going to wear me out. <laughs> and and he gave her justice. And Jesus said, how much more anxious is your heavenly father, you know, to give you what you ask? And that really spoke to me about the, the whole issue of continuing to go to the Lord, whether I get what I want or not at the moment. Because oftentimes the Lord has to change my thinking about what I'm praying about to get me in line with what he wants to do. And then when he does, I see answers that I never anticipated in the first place. Yeah, in terms of, uh, I think the verse that excited me at one point is I never understood what it meant to pray without ceasing, right? I always felt like I was breaking the biblical command. I'm like, oh, I stopped again. Uh, and so I didn't really know. Bad what, man's on. Yeah, I can't mean, right? You, you just reminded me. i got to start praying again. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I'm going to head off in the second half of the show here to pray. And, uh, I, I think it was Dallas Willard who once said, you know, prayer, prayer is just simply kind of doing your day with God. And, yeah. and it was sort of an invitation to just keep in mind that we're constantly surrounded in the heavens by the Father who is with us. In him we live and move and have our being. And the idea that we're constantly attending to that throughout our day would be a way to pray without ceasing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. Let, let us know what your questions are, what concerns you might have, what issue you would like us to chew on. Love hearing from you. 877-933-2484. Pick up your phone. Let us know. Give us a question. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back to the show. Guy Talk is happening. Let us know what you'd like us to talk about, 877-93-FAITH, or you can always email me, Bill, at myfaithradio.com. All right. Let's see. Here's a question from David. Uh, uh, Spiritually speaking, from the death of Jesus to his resurrection three days later, where did he go? We know about what he said to the thief on the cross, but I've heard that Jesus was also spiritually separated from the Father during this time. The Apostles' Creed said he descended into hell. What are the guy's thoughts on this? Thank you once again. Mm. Very polite listeners. Yeah, that's a boy. That's a great question. I mean, that, that certainly is the traditional understanding that Jesus spent time um, sort of going into the depths of where the deepest bondage of all creation could be found, that place in hell, and, and declaring it's over. Uh, victory has been achieved. And if you want out, uh, out is now possible uh, in that. And so that would be some of the historic understanding. There's also some of what goes with that is um, that when, when he says on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think some people um, would suggest that the father couldn't deal with Jesus any longer because the sin had hit him on the cross and God had to turn his way. But that, but that would mean that the sin is more powerful than God the Father himself. And just doing a study recently where the word forsaken simply means to loosen the ties between. And so in, in that place, the ties got loosened between God the Father and Jesus the Son so that he could become subject to death and head into those places in hell uh, where divinity could then actually die. And Romans says and. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is kind of like in this process, the Trinitarian God loosened the relationship that King Jesus went down into the depths and then God sent his spirit to raise him from the dead. It's a really powerful idea. It stands more than just maybe a segment like this, but uh, certainly the historic understanding is that he declared victory in all areas of the earth and every corner of the universe in those moments. Mm-hmm. I'd say we need to send David the uh, Jeffrey Dorn chart. Absolutely. We'll do that. I'm on it. Yeah, go ahead, Tom. Well, I'm thinking about the the passage where it says that he exchanged his righteousness, you know, for our sinfulness and and gave us his righteousness. I think one of the problems we have is realizing what Jesus really took on when he took on our sin Mm -hmm. and the depth of what that really meant, because without the shedding of blood, you know, there is no forgiveness for sin. Well, why did Jesus' blood have to be shed? Because he absorbed all of our sin at that moment on the cross and basically, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Because he was totally separated. However, it was momentary. Mm -hmm. And he did take on the sin of the whole world. One of the things I can't wait to get to heaven over, although my wife said it probably won't matter when I get there, is I want to talk to the writers of the New Testament and the early church because there there are statements like that that read about in, you know, where he went to... uh, Preach to the souls in, yeah. in, you know, in hell or preach to the souls. I want to know what the early church knew that they never wrote down yep. about that topic that we don't have. What other information? I think there's, there are some assumptions there of the writers, and it's still Scripture, and it's still right, and we don't really need to know a lot more, but I'm still curious. Yeah, my friend Jim Belby has been doing some work on conceptions of the afterlife in the early church along the lines of what you're just saying. And, and I was surprising. it was a little surprising to me what he found in terms of how some of the ancient writers talked about it and the idea that one of the questions that comes up is what happened to all the people who died in the Old Testament, right? And uh, and so in that, uh, some of the early church thinking was is that you sort of are almost in this holding tank, Abraham's bosom idea, where uh, some people were experiencing a bit of the presence of God in the afterlife as they waited uh, for the life to come, and some people were experiencing absence of God. So I don't think that their conceptions were even that's similar to what we what we sense is the case today. And uh, and it would be interesting to go back and look through some of that study. And I know the, re- the listener referenced, you know, we know what Jesus said on the cross. And, you know, Peter referenced his statement, quoting Psalm 22, my right. God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But I wonder if also he might be alluding to 
when Jesus had told the thief that, you know, today, I truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Yeah. So, uh, and, and I know that phrase gets, you know, or that, that single verse gets pointed to a lot, but I mean, at, at the very least, you know, we, we could at least imply for what that verse implies is that it's, he wasn't necessarily in hell or separated from God. If he, if that was the case, right. it wasn't during that, the full three days that he was suffering, being tortured in hell, separated right. from God. But it does say that he descended to the lower parts of the earth, that he raised, led a host of captives. And, you know, and I always, you know, I don't know if this listener, um, he didn't reference this, but in Matthew's account, it says that the that the graves were opened in Jerusalem and saints of old came and yes. started wandering around and <laughs> says nothing else about that. So to your point, Tom, like, yeah, Matthew, tell me more about yeah, <laughs> what, sure to know. what happened there. So there's a lot of mystery there, but it definitely was a, a foretaste of the resurrection and its fullness to come. See, one of the problems we have is that we're linear. We're linear with our thinking. So we go, Old Testament, Jesus died, said the guy with paradise, but then we hear that he went to preach the souls, you know, in, in darkness. And we say, how can that be? Except that, and I don't want to get too metaphysical here, but with the Lord, there is no time. He stands outside of time as we understand it. So for him, we can literally say it is the eternal present. So therefore, he can step into and out of as he desires. And for him, it's uh, it's not a problem. So when he says to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise, a true statement. And that's what the guy understood. But at the same time, it was also he went to preach the souls that had, you know, perished. Mm-hmm. So somehow it all fits together. And again, I don't have this all figured out, but I'll get I'll understand it when I get there. I hope. <laughs> all right. You know, I have really smart listeners yes, mm-hmm. that say yes, really insightful things. Now, I've gotten a couple of comments from a listener named Luke, and I want to read you something that he sent me. And I want you to respond. He said, I, I had a wonderful thought the other day from Isaiah 55. Think of God's word as snow. It's easy to think of it as rain soaking into a soil that's ready for it, but his word is always successful in what God sends it out to do. As snow, it lightly lays on the frozen ground that is like our hearts in our spiritual winters. We know that the word keeps coming to us because the snow keeps falling, but I don't feel it soak in. Then the warm sun of spring melts the snow and it begins to soak in. Sometimes God's word will wait and Mm. wait until the time is right. Then it will succeed in what God sends it to do. You do have smart listeners. I know. That's beautiful. I mean, that really is beautiful. That's it. it. One of my very favorite songs. As a matter of fact, is, uh, I wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you, Luke. Luke who? Yeah, air quote Luke. Yeah, I, I, th- I mean, it's, as you're reading that, Bill, one of my very favorite songs is from the artist Andrew Peterson, and it's his uh, song, The Sower Song. And he just, uh, towards the end of it, he's quoting this passage from Isaiah 55, and he just keeps singing this refrain, it will not return void. The word will go out in peace. It will not return void. It will do what uh, it is meant to do. And and so that idea of even just the snow, the way God's word could function that way, what we know for sure is when his word goes out like that, it will accomplish its work. It will not return void. And there's such great confidence in that. I just love sitting in that in that passage in that yeah. song. He mm-hmm. sent me that a couple of days ago, and he sent this today just during this show. He said, one of my favorite prayer verses is in Philippians 4, realizing that God's peace will be guarding my heart and mind in Christ Jesus means I can come to God with everything. Yeah. And all my anxieties have to stay at the door where Jesus gets to tackle them instead of me. Mm. Mm. You know, I uh, think of my mom and dad who are now with the Lord. And no matter what I did, it never threw them off course. Yeah. No matter what I did, <laughs> they never got flustered. They always knew what they wanted from me. They always knew where we were going. They always knew how we were going to pay, you know, for the house and how we we're going to get food. And I could zigzag all around and worry about this or that and make mistakes. But somehow they always managed to pull things through. 
when we talk about all things work together for good or that the the Lord is involved in all this so the Lord answers our prayers, it doesn't, I, I mean, we want to obey. Don't get me wrong. But it doesn't matter what we do. It's not going to throw him off course. He still knows where he's going with us, with the creation, with all involved. The issue is, do we want to be part of that or not? Do we really want to be part of God's plan? And I think the, the problem for a lot of people that come to the end of their life and never receive Jesus and never respond have missed the greatest opportunity in the world. It's not that they weren't given the opportunity. They just would not align themselves with what the Lord was doing. Yeah, and I think that goes back to what we said in one of the earlier segments, Tom, the idea of God's sovereignty being the the idea that his kingdom is going to exist and persist and nothing can compromise it and nothing will change it. It'll continue forever and ever and ever. And the only question related to human beings then is, do you want to participate in this or are you going to go your own way? And so you can kind of bring together the sovereignty agency question in some of those ways. Mm-hmm. And it, what comes to mind, a little little different than where you guys are going, but the but tying in a prior segment, that idea of prayer I think what brings together the the power of the word um, and it having its effect on our life um, is is prayer. So I like to I practice as I pray read the scripture. So I know mm-hmm. we so often you know can pray with with folded hands, bowed head, closed eyes, and closed Bibles. So I like to flip that on its head mm. and I pray with an open Bible. So I never begin a time of prayer with a closed Bible. I always open and it and reminds me that prayer, I think as Eugene Peterson said, that prayer is answering, is first answering speech. Mm. So I'm recognizing that God is initiating a conversation with me and and he gives seed to the sower. I love, so it says right there and, I, and, and verse 10 in Isaiah 55, and I just want to let the, the word sow on upon my heart and I pray his words back to him. And then like the snow and the rain, it's it's going gonna, it's gonna to get in there, and mm-hmm. it's going to change, and it's going to bring transformation at the heart level. What do you guys think when people start to use prayer to make comments to other people? <laughs> oh, oh that drives <laughs> me wild. That's like slow drivers in the left lane. That drives me <laughs> absolutely wild when that happens. Yeah. Yeah. How did we get started with that, and why does it persist? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't, you know, I guess I don't know if it's as true maybe in other parts of the country even, but I know in passive-aggressive Midwest Minnesota that, you know, and some of the other places, it can be a way to sort of air your grievances in, in a way. It's almost the same as saying, hey, I have, a, I have something that you should pray about, which is mostly I want to share my gossip that I have with you yeah, right, right now, but right. you need to pray about it. And so it is trouble. It's actually, kidding aside, it's legitimately troubling. And I don't know what prompts it other than sometimes we don't feel the freedom to just stay stuff face-to-face. And so somehow we put, you know, we couch it in prayer. And I think, too, we so often, I mean, we usually repeat what we experience. And I think many of us grew up, myself included, so I'll speak for myself, grew up in a tradition that viewed prayer uh, from a request-based standpoint. And it's focused on first on myself and my needs. And so if I begin, you know, and I think really one of the... (laughs) One of the approaches or methods of leading a time of prayer that I found that's dead upon arrival is, does anyone have any prayer <laughs> requests? And then 45 minutes of sharing <laughs> about those and then one Hail Mary at the end. And then it's like, <laughs> you know, uh, but, I, but this is what I go back to when Jesus said, pray like this, that was in the present imperative. It wasn't a suggestion. And he didn't give us this, you know, acute acronym like acts, facts, subtracts, exacts, whatever. <laughs> he gave us a model <laughs> that begins, <laughs> that begins, no, it begins with our Father who is in heaven. So it's worship-based. I hope somebody's then, writing this all down. No, <laughs> and then, this is great stuff. No, it's then, we're we're being then, recorded, so don't worry. But to get to the request, it's just that we often couch requests in the wrong context. So if you look at the Lord's Prayer, it for, focuses first upward, who is God? Not who am I, but I worship him, I reference him, who he is. Secondly, I look downward, I respond to him, and thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
So I'm worshiping God. I'm surrendering to his will. And then Jesus moves into requests. Mm. And as I like, you know, a friend mentor of mine, Daniel Henderson said, I don't, I don't, you don't really know how to pray and what to pray about until I've worshiped well and surrendered fully. So mm. I think if we worship and we surrender and then we go to the quest, that'll nip the gossip in the bud because we've already. <laughs> I think too know, often yeah, we're kind of like, uh, it's what I call Twitter prayer, you know, Twitter <laughs> where you can say things to people, but never have to face them. You know, when you're in a group and you're praying and you can kind of keep your head bowed and say, you know, Lord, I wish you would help Bill become a more righteous man, <laughs> you know, something like that. Yeah. It, it sounds so good on the surface, but of course, it's really not. Yeah. It's really mm-hmm. playing the game. Mm-hmm. Here's the biggest problem I have with prayer, being honest with myself. Mm-hmm. What is my motivation? Why am I praying for Bill? Why am I praying for you? Why am I not praying about being honest about myself? Mm-hmm. You know, I've led a lot of prayer groups where we meet for a couple hours to pray. And I'll take them through a process. Usually I have 12 steps that we go through. And we, we don't take prayer requests. We say, we're going to spend 10 minutes now just praising the Lord Jesus. Let's mm-hmm. do it. And then we spend that time. Now we're going to confess our sins. Let's do it. Because I found that when people are in that situation, it's amazing what begins to come out. Mm-hmm. And I, I tell people, I don't want you praying about your neighbor. And I don't want you praying about your family right now. I want you talking to Jesus about you. And I'll mm-hmm. tell you, for the first couple of times I did that, there was a lot of silence. Mm-hmm. But then people began to speak up and they began mm-hmm. to talk about, honestly, Lord, I don't trust you like I should. Mm-hmm. I don't believe like I should. I don't love like I should. How do I get there, Lord? And it became a powerful time. Mm-hmm. Let me take a little break. Guide Talk's happening. Let us know what questions or issues you'd like us to chew on. 877-93-FAITH. Thanks for being with me today. We'll be right back. Back to Guide Talk. This episode may be recorded for quality and training. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still trying to work out what subtracts is in terms of a method of prayer right now. <laughs> That's a good one. That was a really good one. Yeah. Dr. Peter Kapsner, Tom, Pastor Tom Parrish, and Justin Jepson is the team. Pastor Tom Brock was usually here. He's in California, so he says. Allegedly, yes. Mm. Yeah, allegedly. All right. I'm a, a college student. I'm 19. I'm a female, and I discovered my 15-year-old brother has been watching porn for years. Mm. My parents, who are Christians, don't seem to be too concerned and don't want to do much about it, which disturbs me even more. What would what, you say? Wow, that's a big question. Yeah, the first, yeah. my first thought is a 19-year-old is listening to my show. Yeah, right. That's the most amazing <laughs> that thing. Is, that's yeah. Yes. brilliant. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I was, I was with um, a, a group of young people, uh, maybe 100 or so high school students last night, and we were talking around sexuality, and, and porn came up a little bit, and I made the statement that... Um, Porn is perhaps uh, the most pervasive and obviously the worst teacher about sex in our in our country, and where it's difficult, understandably, as parents so often to teach about sexuality when it's it's just a hard thing to get our head around. I think parents feel really paralyzed uh, about how to shepherd our kids in sexuality. Churches don't tend to talk about it a ton, at least historically, and so we're sort of left to porn to be the teacher. Uh, of what constitutes sexuality, and it's such a damaging form of it. And so not only is it damaging that way, but when you don't have the contrast of a parent coming around it and saying, let's talk about why this is damaging, let's talk about the wonder and the beauty of what the sexual union covenant is supposed to be in creating that contrast, then porn continues to be the teacher. And 
I, I think anybody who has experienced uh, or engaged with pornography in their life knows how damaging and devastating it is for all future relationships. It's, it's nigh impossible to head into a married relationship having had porn be your primary teacher about what the sexual union is supposed to be. And, and you don't get to check that at the door just because you said the wedding vows. It really then continues to wreak havoc on that. So I, I would suggest that a lack of concern in this moment, um, it would be one thing to say I'm paralyzed. I don't really know what to do about it. But to have a lack of concern about it, would I, that's, there are huge red flags about that because of how damaging it is. Mm-hmm. I think my prayer would be for the 19-year-old is pray that mom and dad will begin to see things differently. I have a 16-year-old grandson who lives with us, and he's been with us since day one. Love him dearly. Uh, he and I, not every day, but pretty close, we study the scriptures together. We have open talks about it. And then when we're alone, we talk honestly about these kind of things. We just roll blunt, and I'm right to the point, and I say, tell me, you know, where's your mind at? What are you doing? What are you looking at? What are you thinking about? And, of course, it, at first he was hoping he could get another grandpa, <laughs> but after, after he got over that, he began to really open up and be honest. I think part of the problem is for parents, parents are terrified to talk about these things. And I think because most parents carry a lot of guilt and a lot of shame. My attitude is admit it, repent of it, and then get serious to talking to your children about this. Because we're in a culture now, we're not going to get away from pornography. I mean, it is prevalent everywhere. Mm-hmm. Just look at the Super Bowl. I mean, it is everywhere yeah. now. Yeah. The issue is when we see it, how do we respond to it? How quickly do we shut it off? How quickly do we move on to something else? I don't know how to do that as a Christian until I have other Christian men around me that can help give me direction and guidance. And in, in terms of a 15-year-old, that would still be predominantly dad. Dad needs to be the one to step in there and say, you know, let's talk. And it's not a one-time talk. It's not the three-hour drive in the car. Let's talk about these things. It is several times a week. Just keep talking about it. Yeah, and Justin, you and I, I mean, we talked about it in chapel here at Northwestern not long ago, and I would love your, your sort of thoughts about what you see about young people, because we really had to talk about what does it mean to actually walk in freedom mm-hmm. from this as opposed to the white knuckle ride that is day in and day out. Uh, can, is there actually freedom from this? And without the contrast of what the beauty of sexuality is supposed to be, you can't point people towards a target mm-hmm. that Jesus can begin to shape the soul in terms yeah. of that place of freedom. But I'd yeah. love, you know, what do you see with the kids here? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, before I comment on that, I was just going to, you know, to this to this young woman um, about her brother, you know, I think that um, not only pray for her parents' eyes to change and to be open, but also for God to send other people yeah, into yeah. this young oh, man's yeah. life. You know, yeah. whether this is a youth pastor, this is a coach, this is a friend. Um, but I think a, a helpful perspective that she potentially could help him have is, you know, when you look at pornography, and it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's completely objectifying another human being for, for, for. For selfish purposes, and to recognize that the person, the people that he's watching, is those are people, mm-hmm. right. and and the and the women that are there, that's someone else's sister, that's someone else's daughter. In the same way that he has a sister, they have, you know, and just to help uh, bring back the humanity and the and the and the personhood to those people, yeah, and to recognize that that is a complete fantasy and un, it's not real what he's seeking after. And then, I think to your point too, you know, this when it ties back to intimacy. Um, and what we're seeing with college students, I think there's so much talk about avoiding and not doing, not doing, not doing. And on one hand, yes, it's, it's a turning away from, but then it's a question of what are you turning to? Um, and so, and this idea that Jesus is inviting us into something better and in some, into something real, um, into real intimacy that actually does satisfy. So it's not enough to just avoid, 
but it's also um, pursuing and, and going after the Lord. And yes, he is a God of grace. When you fall, when you fail, there is forgiveness, there's redemption. I know I've experienced that time and time again, um, but it's actually developing habits and rhythms that satisfy you in Christ so that the fake doesn't taste as good. Yeah, that's exactly right. Question from a listener. How do I answer a question from a non-believer when I don't have the answer myself? For example, when four people are in a car crash and only one survives, and that survivor declares that God saved them from death, why didn't he save all of them? Part of the problem with these kind of questions is that they have no solid answer that we can give people that makes any sense whatsoever. Because we want to go to extremes. If we have a good God, then he should have saved everybody. Mm Mm-hmm. But if there is no God, then you have this randomness that goes on. I think part of it goes back to this. We live in a chaotic world that is filled with sin. People do stupid things. Car wrecks usually are a result of stupidity in some form or other. Some people live and some people die. You know, why do 25,000 children starve to death around the world every day? Why do we have all these things? The issue is not so much why did the Lord allow that to happen or why do you do something about it? But the question is, what are we now going to do? to minister to people in those circumstances, to follow up on family that have lost loved ones. Because too often I see people come lose a loved one, a child or whatever. Everybody is so sorry. Everybody is so hurt. And that goes on for about two weeks. And then after two weeks, everybody goes back to normal. And this poor family has to carry this burden now for the rest of their life. Who's following up on them? Who's helping them? Who's talking to them about the fact that Jesus so loves them? It's a very hard one. Yeah, I think that kind of scenario doesn't. I mean, that, I, I read something recently that uh, most people become atheists not because of rational arguments, but because of emotional situations, uh, just right along these lines. And I think it, it, we have to be really careful and thoughtful. Again, going back to something we talked about a couple of times on the show, what do we mean by God's sovereignty? Because if we mean that by that, every last event that happens in this world um, was dictated by and designed by God. Well, that leads to some really troubling implications. But then if you decide to stray away from that, what do you mean then by God's sovereignty? And and that's really the nub of the issue and the heart of the issue. Again, it's a bigger topic than maybe we can handle on the show, but I think it's such an important one that uh, among the most troubling things is what you just described, Tom, for so many people. Why do we have 25 million children dying of poverty? Why does cancer strike some? Why, why would cancer strike a seven-year-old? Why would a dad be taken away in a car accident on sort of otherwise a random day? All of these things. And to just sort of say, well, God is in control or God saved me or these sorts of things, they are overly simplistic answers that I think do more harm than good in the faith. And there are pathways to think about these things that stay true to the scriptures, true to the God that we serve and that we love, but we got to be really careful as faithful followers about what we say and how we conceive of these things. That's why the study of theology, though it can be horribly boring on one level, is also terribly important because how we think about God really ends up mattering in terms of the way we do our lives. All right, here's the lightning round. Three minutes left. What is the kingdom of God? (laughs) <laughs> Who wants to go start first? Pastor Tom, I'm looking at you. Well, Jesus kept saying, the kingdom of God is within you. Yeah. And everybody went, huh? That <laughs> didn't make any sense to them. They were looking for an earthly kingdom like King David, you know, rest- restoration of Israel. But the conclusion I've come to for what it's worth, and this is, this is just me, so take it for what it's worth, folks. The kingdom of God is not the place. It is not the events. It is the relationship. And whether it is... If Jesus says the kingdom of God is within you, he means now. It's there right now. It's in that relationship with the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And with all the saints that have gone before and into the future, 
that's the kingdom of God. And whether I live or die, I'm part of that kingdom, and I'll be part of that kingdom forever. Mm. Yeah, long line. I mean, Jesus' first line of his first sermon was, the time is fulfilled, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. So it's it's here, it's within your reach. And I, you know, it's to play on the word kingdom, it's the king's domain. It's right. where, and the and so it's Jesus having complete rule and reign over your life. And that's what leads to life abundantly. That's that's the wholeness um, that, that we've been talking about that Jesus is inviting us into. Yeah, I've heard uh, some teaching where the uh, heavens are sort of understood in three different levels in the Jewish faith. The heavens being sort of the air around us, the heavens being the, the expanse of the sky, and then the heavens is simply the place where God dwells and where his effective will is always being made known and possible. And the heavens are sort of all around us. So the kingdom of God is simply the space in which God dwells, in which the way he wants things to be just always are. And so let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth right now among us as it is mm-hmm. in heaven already. Mm-hmm. Been a great hour. Yeah. Gentlemen, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, always uh, pleasurable. Dr. Peter Kapsner, Pastor Tom Parrish, and Justin Jepson have been my guests on Guy Talk. That wraps up our time together with the guys. Coming up next, uh, Mary Cassian, an author, is going to be joining me for the full hour. So it's going to be a wonderful hour with Mary Cassian. We'll take a short break. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.